Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Omar. I haven't had a chance to meet you. I get the privilege and honor to be the lead pastor here at Grace Church. Uh, I see some familiar faces, uh, some, some friends that came and visited. You know who you are. God bless you. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning to join us. But uh, yes, we know that this gospel message needs to be shared. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? You know what I love about this church community is that you are bringers. You are bringers. You bring people. I meet people every week that you brought to this place. And, uh, and, and I just think that we could, we could really pray at this time to say, God, who else can I bring? Who else can I invite to hear the gospel message? I read a statistic this week that said that 80% of Americans celebrate Easter. And we know that 80% of Americans are not attending church on Easter Sunday, right? And, and I just think that it's just that opportunity you know, and, and I know as a church, like, we want to capitalize on that opportunity of people wanting to come and hear the message of Jesus Christ because it is worth sharing. It still transforms lives. And so we're going to do our best, but I want us as a community to really take this time a month before Easter to pray for our services, pray for our kids program. I mean, we have two Easter egg hunts that are going to happen here. I'm real excited about that. But I just believe that this is the year where we talked about multiplication. I mean, God's going to multiply the work that he's been doing in people's hearts this Christmas, or Easter season. So will you join me in praying now and saying, God, who, who can I invite? The, the person that I feel like just feels like, you know, they, they are distanced from God. But maybe this year is the time and opportunity for you to invite them. And they're going to say yes because God's already working on their hearts because this church is committed to pray for them. Can we do that? And also, let's pray for uh, this morning's service. So uh, if we could just right now, just if you can grab a hand next to you. I just believe that right now, we're just going to bring these people before God. So who are those people? Who are those people in your lives? Join me as we pray. Father, we lift up our friends and family, our neighbors, people in our community, God, that don't have a home church, God. And maybe right now, they're seeing the Easter signs and they're wondering, Where should I go? Because they know deep inside, God, they long for a community like this. They long for something more in this life, and you're the only one that can bring that. So, God, we pray that their hearts would be softened, their hearts would be ready and prepared, and that you send us, God. Who will you send? Send us, Lord. Send us to be your hands and feet, to reach an invitation in their hands and say we love them. We'd love to see them come to Grace Church. God, we pray for this morning's service. We believe your word is powerful, living, and active. We pray, God, that it be received with joyful hearts. As challenging as it is sometimes, God, we pray that we would receive it with joyful hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for doing that. Well, we are continuing our series called Things to Fight For. Things to Fight For. As we've been taking the time to dive in, in a deep study of the book of 2 Timothy And I don't know about you, but I really enjoy getting into this book. I've learned so much, and I've read this several times, but this time, as I took time to slow it down and really unpack each verse and and each story and each segment of it, man, it's really transformed my view of the urgency of being ready, being prepared, to staying focused. And that's really the heart, the message behind this letter. We know that this is the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his dear, beloved friend, Timothy. We know through the background of this story is that Paul was in prison. He was at the end of his life, and he knew how important it was to get this letter out in Timothy's hands. Timothy needed encouragement. 
And you heard that throughout the studies that we've been talking about, that, that this, was, this was an intimate letter. This was an urgent letter that needed to be in the hands of Timothy so that he would not give up. Because there's some times in life where we feel so overwhelmed. We feel like there's so many pressures against us that we just feel like, God, I don't know if I could make it another day. But then God brings something. He brings a word or he brings a person to come alongside you and encourage you to fan your flame, to say, you got this. Stay focused. You can do it. Isn't that awesome about the Lord? That he always sends the right people at the right time through his Holy Spirit. I love that about God. And that's what this letter, that's the essence of this letter is that he sent this to Timothy to encourage him, to encourage him. You know, last week, uh, Pastor Paul Zimmerman, didn't he do a good job? Yeah. Dude, I love hearing Pastor Paul. We're so blessed here at this church to have great teachers and preachers of the word. And, um, and, and he talked about that we need to fight for righteousness and taught us what that meant and how to apply that to our lives. This is what I love about the word of God. It's not just about knowing the word of God, but it's about how to apply it yeah. to your life. That's what you're going to get here at Grace Church if it's your first time here, is that we want to take the word and, and we need to apply it in our lives for it to be transformative. And that's what we're about. So this morning, we're going to just dive right in, if that's okay with you. We're going to dive right in to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, which I love hearing, Bibles, pages flipping. You don't hear that often anymore. I love that. We're going to dive into chapter 3. And we see that there's going to be a change of tone in the message. You know, chapters 1 and 2, we see that Timothy or Paul is encouraging and exhorting Timothy. But now he's gonna challenge and warn him. So there's a change of tone here. Second Timothy chapter three, starting in verse one. He says, but mark this. In other words, pay attention or realize what I'm about to say. Like, really take this in. This is serious, Timothy. That's the, uh, the new Omar translation. Or the, <laughs> don't look up that acronym there, okay? He says, there will be terrible times in the last days. That's kind of sobering, right? What a way to open up this thought. He says, you got to understand this, Timothy. It's almost like he's grabbing him by the ear and pulling him in. He says, you got to listen. There is going to be some days ahead. You know, other translations said there's going to be perilous times. You know, the other, only other time in the New Testament where this word is, to, is describing something is this time where Jesus is traveling and he heads to this city that, 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 that was very pagan and, and there was these two men and they were living among the tombs and they were demon-possessed by legions of demons. And Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus casts out these demons. But it was this word that was describing the condition of these men. And I think Paul was intentional about putting this word and describing the times that were ahead that they were gonna be dangerous, that they were gonna be fierce, that they were gonna be violent, they were gonna be hard to bear. I think he did that on purpose because he wanted, to, he wanted to, to get our attention about the seriousness about what he was gonna share, the importance of this message. I'm telling you, this morning's message is very challenging. How do I know that? Because it's been challenging me all week. So I'm with you. But I just feel like God was wanting us to, 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 to sit on this, to, to, to unpack this, and to weigh it in our hearts this morning. So the big question is this, is why was this so important to Paul to tell Timothy that the days ahead are going to be tough? And let me tell you, they were experiencing some tough times. If you know church history, you know what they were doing to Christians 
during the time of Nero. I mean, they were, they were crucifying Christians. They were putting them on a stake. They were setting them on fire. They were ripping them apart, boiling them with hot oil. That's what they were enduring. That's what they were experiencing. And yet, he's saying that there's gonna be tougher times than what you're experiencing now. Did I get your attention yet? It should get our attention. We should see the seriousness of the tone that Paul is about to turn here in this chapter. So why is he doing this? You know, why, why, why is he bringing this to this place? Well, it's to prepare Timothy. Or say prepare. He wants to prepare him. He wants to get him ready because he knows how important it is, because he knows how important the job that Timothy has. How many of you know that you have an important job from God? That there's, there's things that God wants to do in your life that is so important that heaven is at attention wanting you to move closer to what God has called you to do. That God's plan is orchestrated in a way that he wants to use and utilize his people. And this is important. So we live in a time where God has given us an important job to do. And that's the tone of Paul's words to Timothy. He says, this is important. So you need to be ready. You need to be prepared for what's ahead. Not only for Timothy, but for his congregation. Because that's his job. That was his job. He was like taking care of his congregation, being a good shepherd, and he wanted to prepare them for what was ahead. So it wasn't just a warning. It was a call to action. I believe that's what God's wanting us to do this morning. He's not just trying to warn us or scare us, but he wants us to be active. This is a call to action. Let me ask you this morning. How many of you guys feel like you are prepared for an emergency? Come on, who are you? Come on, there's some of you guys in here. I know who you are, right? I have a buddy, his name is Wes, and he has his backpack in his car, and it's, he's ready for anything that happens, right? It's all in his backpack. He's ready to go, right? There are people in this world, right? They are always prepared for whatever happens at any time. We all need to know who those people are that raise their hand, okay? <laughs> then there's also other people who are not as prepared, and you've been in situations where that's been tested, right? You, you, you find yourself in a situation or circumstances where there's an emergency or something going on, and you realize real quick, I am not prepared for this or not prepared as I should be, right? Anybody experienced that before, right? Absolutely, right? Those are hard moments. It reminded me of a time in, uh, when, when Misty and I lived in Missouri. And, uh, and one thing I had to get used to living in Missouri was that every year, every year, there was always these severe storms that would always come through our region. And what would happen is, when these storms would come through, they were, they were severe. Now, I've been through some rainstorms here in the Pacific Northwest. I've, I've been around some thunderstorms that make you pucker up here, right? But nothing prepared me for the storms in the Midwest. I mean, there's something about it. They're demonic over there, you know? Like, they're just, they're crazy. And, and, and it just rattles your core, and, 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 and they have tornadoes. <laughs> I knew they had tornadoes, but when you're in the storm, you forget how serious they are. I've seen Twister too many times. I thought I had a leather belt, you know, I'll be fine. But it just humbles you. I'm dating myself, right, Twister? Yeah. But I felt the first time that this happened, see, what they do is when these storms come through and they're severe enough to, to cause a warning to the people, to the public, it's because they saw a funnel cloud in the sky. And so they, they turn on these sirens, and these sirens are strategically put all over the town, and they're just like, oh, man, it's terrifying for a West Coast guy. 
These things would blast and be loud, and they'd come at any time of the night. And I mean, they were freaking us out the first time we ever heard them. And it was in that time that I realized, Misty, we're not prepared. We're not prepared. So we scrambled to try to, you know what we did? We didn't have a storm shelter. We didn't have anything. We didn't have flashlights. I mean, yes, I know. You're judging us right now. We were not prepared for this. That we bunkered down. We put a mattress over us and the kids and our dogs, and we just sat there until the siren stopped. It's terrifying, right? We panicked. We realized real quick we were not prepared. You know, the next day I I headed off to work. And as I was driving through town, I saw the devastation of the storm. I saw buildings collapse. I saw trees uprooted. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy, the aftermath of that storm. And I realized real quick, next time, I better be prepared. And so I was. Next time I was prepared, we had a plan. And the next time a storm rolled around that had some danger around it, we heard the sirens, but this time I was ready to go. This time I was prepared. Now, was it still dangerous? Yes. Was it still scary? Absolutely. But for some reason, I knew that as I had prepared myself for it, that I was ready to endure it. You know, as we listen to this and we go through this scripture, Paul's not trying to bring fear in Timothy's heart. He tells him to cast out that fear. But he's trying to prepare them. He's trying to show him the danger of what's coming. That if he's not prepared for this, if he's not ready to endure these times ahead, that he might find himself unprepared at the wrong time. And I think that that's the same tone that I want this morning for a church to see that today in 2019, we still need to be prepared for the days ahead because there's prophecy about what's gonna happen. And it's tough and we gotta endure. And for a believer, it's not gonna be easy. So this morning, my heart this morning is how do we prepare for this? How do we know if it's coming? We know it's coming. There's nothing we can do to stop it, but it's coming. And it's gonna come as soon as, and, and we're living in it right now, and we understand it, and I'm gonna unpack what that means, but I'm just saying we need to be prepared. We need to have our hearts ready. Yeah. You know, he says that there's gonna be these terrible times ahead. And he says this term, he says, they're gonna happen in the last days. Everybody say last days. Last days. Now, I feel like I got to clarify that term because uh, many of us grew up in, 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 a, in a time where we heard the last days talked about a lot, right? And how many of you read those Left Behind series books? And did they terrify you or what? I only got through one book, man, and I was like, I can't go no more. <laughs> last days, right? We think of it at this time of tribulation, and that's a Christian word. If you don't understand, that's okay. I'll talk to you. I'll explain that. But the, they have a lot of things surrounding these last days, and, and it, it could be terrifying and scary and unclear. And we're like, wait, are, where are we at in this whole timetable and all that? Well, let me simplify that for you. When we hear the word the last days in the Bible, throughout the Bible, we have to understand that it's not just a, a literal couple of days during the week, the last final days. It means an era. Here's what I mean by that, is that we know that there's an era between creation and Adam. There's one from Adam to Abraham, Abraham to Moses, Moses to David, and David to Jesus. So when we talk about the last days, it's an era. What's the era? It's when Jesus ascended up to heaven after he completed the work on the cross. From that moment to the time of his second coming, that is the last days. What does that mean? That means that we are currently in the last days. So what we hear about, what he's talking about, is for today, because we're in that time. Jesus can come at any time. And so this is where he's at. This is what he's warning. 
You know, we know that Jesus is coming again. Come on, are we still a four-square church? We believe that Jesus is the soon-coming king, right? That the story is not over, that there's still so much more ahead of us. The best is yet to come, right? He's coming on. Oh, man, it's exciting. I'm gonna preach on Revelations, man, because I am so excited about that day, that glorious day. That's why we need to be ready. Jesus talks about this. Some people will get you to believe that, that, that this is not uh, truth, that Jesus is not coming back, but I'm telling you, Jesus talked about this often. This is just one verse here. You can write this down. Matthew 24, 36. He says, about the, t- the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. He's like, this is certain. There's gonna be a day where I will come back. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. Paul again tells the church, he says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, his return will come like a thief in the night. You also see this by Jesus' closest disciples, Peter and John, in their writings, and they talk about this, and they describe it as Jesus' second coming, coming as a thief in the night. There's going to be people, many people, that are going to be unaware of when he shows up on that day. But what I also see in Scripture is though we don't know the day, the exact hour, God's people will be prepared. God will prepare his people for that glorious day, and he will protect his people until then. Amen? And beyond. Amen. So God will prepare. I think of it as when uh, Misty and I were expecting our children, and some of you parents understand this season of life where you're like weeks, ahead, weeks around the due date, and you're still living life, but you're prepared, right, for any moment that baby to come, and you have your bags packed. Well, that's how I feel is happening in this moment. He's saying being prepared because it can happen. And what Paul is trying to get the church and Timothy to understand is that you gotta be ready, you gotta be prepared because you are living in the last days. So don't get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted. You gotta see the bigger picture, and that's really what this whole letter is about, is see the big picture. I know you're going through some things right now. I know sometimes it's unclear of certain things in your life and why it's happening, but he's saying stay focused because this is important. This is a big deal. God is up to something. Don't give in to society's pressures. Stand up against evil and continue to do what's right, even when it's unpopular. I mean, that's really the essence of this book. And so he's urging him, he's telling him, reminding him so that he'd be prepared that there is these days ahead. So this morning, I just, I just want to spend some time unpacking just a few passages. I really feel like I can't go further until we take a moment to really reflect on these. And, and he's going to start listing some things. I'm going to start reading some hard descriptions of some terrible things. And as we read it, you know, we, we, we kind of read through this, and, and I'll explain a little bit more of what I mean by reflecting on it, but, but sometimes we can read these things and we say, oh, that, those are some terrible people, man. I'm glad that's not my problem. And I think this morning we need to reflect on it like any passage of Scripture and say, God, is there any of that in my heart? Can we do that as a church this morning? Can we take this and, and say, okay, God, will you lay it over my heart and say, is there any, any degree of what... Pastor Omar is about to read what scripture says is, is going to increase in the last days. Some things that would distract us from God's calling. And can I just be honest with myself and with you, God, this morning and say, God, help me. I believe if you do that, God's going to do something. Because, you know, the most powerful thing you can do is to be open and broken before the Lord. That's the beginning of breakthrough. I believe that's what God wants to do this morning. So what will increase? He starts out saying that there will be this tendency to love the wrong things. It's all about love. That's really the thing, because love steers our hearts, steers our minds, steers our life. And so he makes it, it's all about love, loving the wrong 
things? What what are the wrong things to love? Listen to this in verse two. He says, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. I just believe that selfishness and vanity are probably the beginning of so many sins in our lives. Steer us off course. It's probably the root of most sins. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lovers of the good, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having all forms of godliness but denying his power. Wow. That's a hard list. And you might think to yourself, well, you know, that, that stuff's in the heart of man and that, that's been around for a long time. Yet Paul's saying that this stuff's going to increase, that this is going to be more in, your, in, in the culture. They were living in it. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we realize we're living in it. And what the part that really gets me is he's saying that there would be people having all the forms of godliness but denying his power, meaning that they would look the part, but they would have no power in them. That's disturbing to me. You know, it's kind of, I, I think that if Paul was here, he'd tell us, he said, hey, you know, these people that you can come to church and you can act like everything's good and you're, everything's perfect and, and, and you have no flaws, you have no mistakes. You, man, everything's good. And I hope, you know, times that we go through seasons, but I'm saying where you're denying these things that are deep inside things that you've dealt with for a long, wrestled with, and you just try to tuck them in the back of your, of your heart, and you just try to act and ignore them, and you think that if I, just, if I just deny them, if I don't deal with them, then they're just gonna get weaker and weaker. But let me tell you, when they're in the dark, they get stronger and stronger. James tells us that that's the nature of sin, that if we try to put it away, it grows. If we don't bring it out to light and expose it to God's word, it grows and it starts controlling our lives. And so he's saying it's those type of things. People will care more about appearance than they do about being real and open and honest. And he says this. He says that that has to be cut out. And that can't be allowed. Like, you gotta be careful for this. I want you to know that if there's anybody here this morning that you're just struggling, you're just like, man, those are some things I have to work on. Let me tell you, you're not alone. Right? This should be sobering to it. We should look at this list and go, man, there are some areas, man, that I'm fighting with. Love, your, love being a lover of myself, being selfish in so many ways. That's something I gotta work on all the time. I don't know about you. You're in a safe place. I have a pastor friend in Portland. His name's Shannon, and he always says this. He says, it's okay to not be okay. And sometimes it's just gotta be open, be brown, say people say, man, it's not okay. His church mantra is this, is that there's no perfect people allowed in his church. I love that about him. I'm gonna tell you that this church, like we're called grace and I hope that it's not just a, a, a word on our wall but I hope that that's something that people receive when they walk through our doors. No matter how they come in, no matter what's going on in their lives. And Timothy, and, and, and Paul's telling Timothy, he says, these are the things that people are gonna be battling when they walk through your church and show up at your church sitting in those seats and they're gonna go through all this stuff and you gotta help them and work this through their lives. That's what God has called you to do. And he says this, he says, he, says, he says this list and he says that there's gonna be people that are gonna hack on the outside like they got it all together and they don't need any problems and this is, this is for somebody else but deep inside they know that it's probably for them and they're denying that and this is the danger. 
Paul's like, don't have anything to do with such people. He's not talking about the people on that list. He's talking about the people that are acting like they're not dealing with any of that in the list. That's the danger we can fall in sometimes, friends, where we, where we just say, oh, that's, that's really bad news for them, but, but I think we need to reflect on our hearts and say, God, is there any way in me? Just like David said, he said, God, search my heart. You know, in order for us to make a difference in the world, in order for us to help people, we have to first let the word work through our lives and say, God, work this out in my life so that people can see the difference. So lovers of self. He says this, three categories here. He's lovers of self. That's humanism. That's a me first attitude. And I've covered a lot of that already. And then he says lovers of money. That's materialism. I mean, these are things that we're battling. These are the spirits of the world. They try to get us to, to, to think about us first. Money first. You know, in the, in, the, in the letter before, he tells Timothy, he says, he says, he says uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, he says the love of money. When you pursue it in such a way, where you put all your happiness and your, and, and your satisfaction, and you pursue that more than anything else. When you make that your motivation, you're driven by what you have and you don't have. And that takes you away from the pursuit of Jesus. Be careful. Do you see that in the world today? Absolutely. Jesus told us this. He says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Right? And then the, second, uh, the last one here is kind of a hard one. It says, lovers of pleasure. Pedoism. Pleasure first. Now, I'll tell you that many addictions start out this way. I deserve this. And then after that, it turns into, I need this. I want this. It's all about me. It's all about my pleasure. It's all about what I can get out of the deal. It's pursuing that in such a way that all your happiness and everything and your satisfaction is all gained on this, and it doesn't matter who's in the way of it. You gotta have it. It's all about you feeling good. Friends, I'm telling you, that's crazy. That distracts us. That takes us away. You know what's interesting to me is that I was thinking about these three mentalities, these three patterns of the world, and I thought, man, how much does our social media play into these mentalities? Constantly pushing us and pressuring us about making it all about us, all about what we have. We gotta show everybody in the world and then just the pursuing the pleasure of it all. And so Paul's telling us, he's saying, recognize that this is not just for the outside the church, but this is in the church. You gotta be careful, you gotta be ready, you gotta be on guard because only in the last, you think it's hard now, it's only going to increase. You're only gonna have more pressure in these ways. So how do we do this? How do we stop loving the wrong things and start to learn to love the right things? Because that's the answer. What we know, number one, is we gotta receive God's love, right? None of this changed without God in our lives. So we stop pursuing these things, but we pursue the right thing, and that's God through his love through Christ. But how do we show this? How does this work itself out? Because I believe that this is only gonna increase in the days ahead. So what's the answer? The answer is this, operating in the opposite spirit of what's in our culture. So instead of being lovers of self, we need to be lovers of others. Lovers of others. Instead of having the me first mentality, we gotta say, we gotta put others first. Come on, this is a struggle for for, for, for us, right? Everything in us doesn't want to do this. We're, 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 we're challenged by this. But the Bible constantly tells us that we need to put others, value others, to love others. 
says this in Philippians chapter two, verse three and four. He says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Wow. That's a hard one. You know, this week as I was with my staff, we, I asked them a question. I said, hey, uh, who's your heroes in life? Who are the people in the world that you look up to, that you admire? Uh, what, tell me about them. And so it was kind of fun to, to, to think this way and, and, ask, and ask that question. And, you know, one of the heroes in, in my life, somebody I never met from, but, but just always admired her life is Mother Teresa, right? Oh, what a beautiful, wonderful woman. And how she gave her life, she was selfless in her life, and how she, she loved the unlovable, she loved those that others overlooked, the least in her society. I mean, she left a magnificent legacy in India about really loving people the way Christ loved them, really putting others before, them, before herself. I mean, it is beautiful. And as I've looked at her story, and I've read some books and some articles about her, uh, there's this one story that just really got me. Like, it really just brought me to my, to, just to my knees and said, God, I, I, I need to be transformed in such a way. And it, it's a story about her feet. I don't know if you ever heard about the story of her feet. I wanted to show you a picture of her feet. And there's this article from this reporter that followed her and wanted to do a story on her when she was around. And, and, and this is an excerpt from that article. He says, I will never forget her feet. I noticed them when I worked in Calcutta with her and the sisters in the 1990s. Every morning, we took off our shoes as, she went in, as we went into the chapel to pray, and hers were deformed. I wondered if she had contract, uh, con, uh, contracted leprosy or something, but I wasn't about to ask her that question. Then one of the nuns explained to us, her feet became deformed because there were just enough donated shoes for everyone to get a pair, not many extras. So Mother Teresa dug through the donations and took the worst pair of shoes for herself. And over the years, wearing the worst pair of shoes deformed her feet. And I thought of this. I thought, man, years of valuing others above herself deformed her feet. And how beautiful of a legacy, of a story, of, of a quality. And you know, it just, it just really got me that if we could really take that to heart, if we could really focus in on saying, how can I love people in such a way? Like Romans 12, 10 tells us, he says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself. How much would it transform the world? Right? I mean, sacrificial love is amazing. It's a powerful gift. And I just believe that it's rare today and it's gonna be more rare in the future. Because we see what's happening, we see the patterns of this world, and how they're always contrary. But Jesus' love, Christ-like love, is sacrificial. It's putting others first. And that's what we need to show. That's what we need to live. Now, here's the thing. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself this morning. But it's okay to feel convicted at times and say, God, where am I at? What do I need to do? See, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is from God. It's from this Holy Spirit that says, hey, I need to work on this thing. It's saying, man, I messed up, but I, can, I, I need some, get, some help in this. God, will you come in and will you work this out? Condemnation is from hell. It's saying, I will never be right. I'm never gonna be right. I can never do right. That's from the pit of hell. But I think it's okay for sometimes to get the word of God in us to the place where we're like, God, I need to be more like you. And the word of God should bring us to that place. Bring us to the place. Number two, instead of being lovers of money, we become lovers of generosity. 
man, the early church was really good at this. Like, they gave. They gave so that others will have. They gave, and it says that at the time in their community, there was no needs among them. Now, there was probably lots of wants, <laughs> but no needs. They were covering each other. They were caring for each other. They were loving each other. They had this mindset that I will give so that others may have. Now, this is a hard one. Why? Because we have this fear that creeps in, right? Like when we feel like led to say, hey, I want to be generous with my life. I want to be generous with what I have. I've been blessed. I want to be a blessing. There's always that temptation, right, that fear that creeps in that says, hey, if you do this, you're not going to have enough. You got to hold on tight because you know one day you might need this. When in your heart you're feeling like, man, I want to give. I want to be generous with this. But I believe that it's in those moments that we got to fight this materialism. we got to fight this thing of saying, no, i got to hold on to everything. And I'm telling you that that's where we have to break in our minds because we serve a generous Father who loves us and will provide for us. You know, Jesus said this in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, he says don't store up your treasures here where moss can get and vermin can get and thieves can steal. He says, store up your treasures in heaven, you know? As he leads us and through this life, we gotta be generous with our lives. It says this, if you're generous with our lives, people will open up to the Father who's generous. But they'll see us and see that we're different. So he says, okay, in these last days, these spirits, these, these, these patterns are gonna increase. It's gonna be hard. The days are coming. There's gonna be a culture that amplifies this love for self. People will be blinded by their love for money and greed. They would be boastful, and it would be applauded. Pride will be an idol. Abusive behavior will run rapid. Disobedience to parents will be the norm. There'll be ungrateful, unholy, unloving attitudes will be everywhere. People will be unforgiving. They will look for opportunities to slander one another. They will be without self-control. Binging and addictions will be accepted behavior. Things will be more brutal, more violent. People will despise good but love evil. They will be conceited and they would pursue pleasure rather than honorable virtues. Friends, I think we're living in the last days. Right, do you see that? And as a church and as a believer, we gotta be saying, God, help us that this wouldn't influence us in such a way that it would distract us. But we gotta stay focused and love the right things that you put in us. How can we not conform to the patterns of this world to be transformed, to be different, to live different? The last one here, I'm going to close. He says, become lovers of others, lovers of generosity. Instead of being lovers of pleasure, be lovers of self-control. Self-control, that's the tough one, right? You know, what used to fool me back in the day was that just the word self and self-control, you know? I thought that it was all about, like, how strong I can be, and, and if I just build myself up strong enough that I'd be able to master this thing. But I realized <laughs> that that's not it at all. It means that I'm out of control in an area and I need help in that area. It's me coming to God and it's being humble about the area of my life that I need need control in. And I say, God, will you take this? Do you know that part of the fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, or is self-control? And that God can produce that, but we gotta gotta surrender to him. We gotta say, God, work this in my life. Here's the other thing about self-control. This is what makes it so hard, is that because it doesn't just rely on you, but it relies on other people. You need other people in your life. You need other people to help you with the self-control. The Holy Spirit's gonna be in you. The Holy Spirit's gonna equip you and encourage you and help you build that up. But let me tell you, you need other people in your life. You need other people to help you. Why? Because self-control requires accountability. 
guidance and encouragement. Have uh, Christy come. And I'm not just talking about the big heavy things in life, right? I actually suggest that you start working out self-control and the little things in your life, the little changes, the little moments. Bring people in. Pray about it. Say, God, what's some area in my life that I could practice self-control, that I could build that muscle of self-control? You know, would I allow you in this area? And I start to ask you to help me through this. And as you build that up, as you start to bring people in, as you have accountability and encouragement, you start seeing the progress in your life, the direction that God's leading you. And then you start to get stronger in that area through the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to the things that you need to say no to, say yes to the things you need to say yes to. It's amazing how much that will transform your life and that you would have restraint. That you wouldn't just jump into a moment of passion knowing that's gonna forfeit a lifetime of peace. That you'd be self-controlled, allowing the Holy Spirit to work that in your life. Because the world's telling you, you don't need self-control. Just indulge, just dive right in. Just do it till your heart's content. But we know that that destroys lives. We need to practice and we need to allow this to be worked through our lives. And Paul's warning to Timothy, he says, this is it. This is happening. This is gonna be the world. It's gonna, it's gonna just increase. So you need to be ready. You need to be prepared for these days. And so my, ask, my question this morning, I feel like I can't go any further without asking this question. Say, where are you at today? What area in, this, in, this, in these three categories do you feel like, man, I definitely have lost focus I've made it all about me. I've made it all about things. And I've, I've, I've really just made it all about me feeling good. And, and, and I don't know where to start. Well, I'm telling you that we don't live, serve a God of shame. We serve a God of forgiveness. And today could be a new start. It can refocus your life. So can we stand to our feet? I know it's sobering, right? I know this is, a, this, is a, this is one of those messages, man, that's like, it can get really tough. But I think there's just so much freedom when we admit things. There's so much freedom when we release things. We need to let God's light through his word light up every area of our hearts. And I just sense that God is doing that right now. His word speaks on its own. You've heard it this morning. Now it's a moment of response. So right now, if we could just close our eyes for a moment. I want to ask you to just be honest with yourself, honest with the Lord. God, I need you. He'll never deny that prayer. He will always respond. He wants to respond. So you say, God, help me in this area. I want to be less distracted over these things. Part of my heart is love the wrong things, but I want it to love the right things. I want to be more generous in my life. I want to be more focused on you and the people that you put around me. And God, I want to practice an area of self-control. So will you help me? Will you guide me? Will you lead me so that I don't have to try to do it all on my own and carry it all together, but I could surrender to you. So, Father, I pray for my friends this morning that have asked this prayer right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the redemption power of Jesus on the cross, the message of the gospel that says that there is new life in you. That right now, God, if they ask for forgiveness, Lord, you are faithful and just to forgive them and wash them and cleanse them from all unrighteousness, God, that they be set free, that they make it right with you. And for maybe for some of us, God, that have made that decision, right now we're just saying, God, bring us back to focus. Remind us of the bigger picture, God, of what we're here and why we're here and what you have us to do. So I pray that you cover hearts this morning. Encourage us.
Remind us, God. Let us go out and be a light into this world, a light that shines for you and points to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. If you need a little more prayer, you want some time, yeah, give God the glory. I want to invite you to come, and you can pray. You can ask for prayer. We'll have a few of us up here, but God bless you. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. Remember, grab an Easter invite on the way out and invite somebody to our Easter services. God bless.